It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. Wall Street joining the global rally for a second day, and the dollar is weakening. There's speculation that policymakers will move to prevent the U.K.'s European secession from hampering global growth. The S&P 500 has erased its loss for the year. A Goldman Sachs index of the most shorted shares is up the most since 2011. Britain Britain's FTSE 100 has erased its post-Brexit losses with a 6.3% gain over two days. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg Radio. Dow Industrial Average currently up 268 points, 1.5%, trading at 17,679. S&P 500 up 35 points, 1.7% to 2,070. NASDAQ up 93 points, a gain of 2% trading at 47.84. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil up $1.81 a barrel, 3.8% to 49.66. Spot Gold up $10.30 an ounce to 13.28.20. And the 10-year Treasury is down 132nd with a yield of 1.46%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. We turn now to Turkey, to Istanbul in particular, uh, Turkey deploying anti-terrorism squads at Istanbul's main international airport after three suspected Islamic State suicide bombers killed 41 people this week. And this underscores, among other things, the country's struggle to contain the spillover from Syria's civil war. If you're watching all the news flow on your Bloomberg today, you're seeing stories about how this has hit uh, Turkey's tourism uh, industry. You're seeing a story about the lira rising with uh, other emerging markets because there's a bet now that they'll be stimulus to offset the damage. What does this mean for this country, for its president and its economy going forward? Very happy to welcome to the show now Gareth Jenkins, political security analyst who is joining us from Istanbul. Gareth, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'd like to start by asking you about the mood in Istanbul today. It's very depressed. I mean, there were a lot of concerns Previously, we had already had two attacks, of course, uh, earlier this year, um, from ISIS, another one from the PKK. And um, I think the scale of what happened last night um, has really hit very hard. Well, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, it hit, I think when I saw the headlines crossing, I think all of us, our heart goes out. You feel it. It could have been an airport anywhere. It feels like it could have been one of your loved ones. In Turkey in particular, though, where there's so many cross currents, uh, so many dynamics politically, what, what do people leap to? Do, who do they blame? What do they want? I, I think to a certain extent, because we've had so many of these, it, it's been very 
difficult to single out anybody to blame. And this attack is unusual in that previously most of the attacks have been against foreigners uh, by ISIS in, in Istanbul. We've had attacks by the PKK that have been primarily directed at the security forces. Um, but this just seemed to be at people. And I think that really is one of the reasons it's had such, a, such an impact. And, of course, there is... Um, there's anger with the government. The government gets, gets blamed because ultimately it's supposed to be responsible for security. And we've also had some uh, people questioning the, the security at the, the airport itself. Um, but to a large extent, I think the mood is, is still very much one of, of shock. Um, the blame game really hasn't quite started yet. That may, we may see that over the next uh, few days. Well, you know, Gareth, a, a piece I would recommend everybody to find online is one that you published just uh, five days ago, June 24th. Uh, currently no indication as to when President Erdogan will leave power but Turkey is now deep into the final and highly turbulent stage of his domination of the country's politics. Uh, sometimes you think that people turn to a strong man when they're under attack. Does in, instead, though, an, yet another attack weaken his hold on power, which you argue he's doing everything he can to maintain? Yes, I think it does. I mean, one of the one of the big problems at the moment is, of course, we have two security threats. We have one from the PKK, and we also have one from ISIS. And I think uh, most people outside Erdogan's inner circle know that they, whatever one may think of the PKK, there there is a way forward there, and that's to return to talks, um, which would also not only. Uh, probably persuade the PKK to announce a ceasefire, but would free up a lot of the resources that are needed in terms of intelligence um, to focus more on ISIS, which is a, you, you cannot talk with ISIS. I mean, you can talk with the PKK and reduce the, the violence, but uh, Erdogan's put himself in a position where he found there can be no return to talks, and where he's trying to change the constitution to get a presidential system which concentrates all power in his own hands to demonstrate he can uh, deliver solutions, um, and he's vowed to crush the PKK. It's very difficult for him now to step back and return to, to talks without losing a lot of credibility amongst his hardcore supporters. And, of course, uh, uh, the PKK uh, is uh, the Kurdistan Workers' Party. That's the Kurdish acronym for it, for those maybe who uh, are not quite following all of this quite so closely. So what... Uh, so the next, as Erdogan reaches for power then, internally and in terms of the various factions that are in Turkey, who is supporting him, who may be opposing him, could we see some kind of, uh, I don't know, an election, an uprising, something that, that moves against him in a very dramatic way? We've seen a very unfortunate uh, erosion of, of faith in the rule of law. And we're seeing a couple of measures at the moment uh, preparing to go through Parliament that will tighten Erdogan's uh, control over the judiciary. Uh, we've just had a motion gone through Parliament that's lifted the immunities of all of the current members of, the, of Parliament. There are 550 deputies. Um, but we're expecting uh, there to be court cases against the, the opposition, um, both the mainstream opposition of the, the uh, Republican Pe People's Party and also the pro-Kurdish uh, People's Dem Democratic Party. And I think this call, 
if these people, are, if these opposition politicians had that behind bars, then we could get a, um, quite a lot of protest. It's tempting to see the, the ruling justice and development party as being wholly united behind Erdogan. They're certainly frightened of him, but there are people within the party who are very concerned about the direction he's taking Turkey. And the hope is that at some time they, they stand up and, and, uh, and try to halt this uh, seemingly accelerating slide into authoritarianism. But quite what that trigger would be to persuade um, them to come out, uh, we still don't know. Now, Erdogan, President Erdogan uh, has reached out just this week. Uh, he's ending a six-year rift with Israel. He's unexpectedly moving to mend ties with Russia. What is his motivation there? Does he perceive himself as weakened by some of these events? Does, does, does he see this as part of him increasing his hold on power to t- you know, take a move with uh, countries in the past he's been very much opposed to? Absolutely, and uh, with, with Israel, the agreement is he's actually gone back on what he said was his core demand, which was to remove the blockade of Gaza. I don't think the, the, the agreement with Israel has been negotiated for, for more than three years. It's not going to have a big impact. What could have an impact is uh, the meeting, well, the telephone call they had today with uh, Vladimir Putin, um, uh, particularly if that leads to um, you know, an improvement in the economic relationship um, because Russians were the second largest source of tourism for Turkey. Um, since Putin effectively prevented Russians coming, we've had a 98% decrease in the Russian tourists coming to the country. And, of course, tourism has been very badly hit by, the, by security concerns. So that may have an impact. Um, but I think generally the reason he's moved now is because he's understood that Turkey is very dangerously isolated internationally. And um, he needs to improve relations with, with somebody. And with Russia in particular, there's the, the opportunity to do something which could give a boost to the tourism sector, uh, which is huge. It's the single largest source of foreign currency for Turkey. And um, numbers so far down are 35% down. The expectation is if things go on, um, once we get into the peak season, they'll go down even even further. And a lot of hotels, etc., could could go into liquidation. So there is very clear economic benefits for him. uh, Mm -hmm. Going back to Putin. And in the wake of a terrorist attack, people might find it a little bit trivial to talk about uh, the tourism industry. But as you point out, this is so important to Turkey. Turkey also a very important destination for emerging market investors. More broadly, uh, is that another threat to Erdogan, that the economy is not doing as well as it once was? How much of, is all of this affecting the growth of this very important destination for investors? Yes, I, I think it is. I mean, it's one of the, the I think, really largely ignored factors behind uh, the, the the grip that he's been, he's managed to, uh, put on, on Turkish politics is a lot of people voted for him and voted for the you know, ruling uh, Justice and Development Party because of its economic record. But he doesn't seem to understand that he's now undermining it. Well, one of the things um, investors care most about is that they don't care so much, unfortunately, about democracy and rule of law, but they do care very much about stability. Um, and they need to see uh, at the moment that their investments are going to be um, are okay. going to be secure if they put money into the country. Gareth, quick final and question: ten seconds. Will Will Erdogan hold onto power in a year, in two years, in five years? My prediction has, has been uh, until 2000, 2019 he'll be gone. Thank you so very much.
fascinating discussion of Turkey, where the country is heading and where President Erdogan is heading as well. Gareth Jenkins, thank you so much. Writer, independent political security analyst, and a senior fellow with the Central Asia Caucasus Institute and Silk Road Studies Program Joint Center. Joining us today from Istanbul. I'm Kathleen Hayes. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.